0: Welcome to the World Networking Podcast. Today we have Matthew Anderson joining us for the show. He brings a plethora of experience in the trades and working in a rural community on art and various projects for the community. I believe this is his first podcast and uh, it's been a pleasure, honestly, having him on and uh, being able to facilitate the discussion. I really enjoyed this one and I know you will too if you open up and Listen to the whole thing and allow us to help you dive into some topics that maybe don't get presented on the deal. I hope you enjoy and Thank you for being here. Hi, and welcome to the World Networking Podcast. Today we have Matthew Anderson joining us for the show and he brings a background in the mountains and and from a rural rural setting with different job sites and various skills implemented uh between art and and labor honestly he's he's here to share his story of how he's gotten here today Uh, matthew would you care to introduce yourself more
1: hi i'm matthew anderson and uh I, I live in rural areas, and I am an artist by uh, my own hobbies. Uh, but by my day job, I work in a, I've worked in many industrial environments to working at paper mills, to working maintenance and uh, fairgrounds, to uh, working at lumber mills and being in very high industrious areas with loud machinery and, safety regulations and um just your overall hard work one of the skills i uh i believe i've i've acquired is finding the balance between being a highly creative person but also having to make my way by becoming a very industrious person and having that duality of that fact and the the struggles with that
0: sure no i think um Balancing home life and, and work life is one of those things, especially with creative passions and freedoms, where it takes time to refine exactly how you want to see that proceed. Something I'm not particularly the best at, I've struggled with that, I think a lot of people have, and seeing themselves in the workplace and, and how that's supposed to fit into their routine uh, that they want to craft, it's, it's tough. You know, it's really tough, especially when it starts affecting your sleep. It's literally all fun and games until it affects your sleep. And then you feel like you're losing time.
1: Oh, yeah. Tell me, Cameron, have you ever heard of uh, objective personalities?
0: Um, By definition, I I haven't. I, have, I feel like I've heard the term in, in passing, but what makes you mention it?
1: Well, I'm not an expert at it, but one of the things I've realized is it's like, you know, you have like... I have more of an intellectual personality and that's like being a creative personality. It's like being able to take uh abstract concepts and bring them together to make ideas. And that's like kind of the overall experience of like the artist is that you kind of are able to have one foot in reality and the other in the unknown and to take those, those ideas and make a, a, uh, a novel experience that is like the piece of art and to bring it into reality. And, um, but like, you know, there's, there's other, you know, um, there's other personalities where it's like, you know, to be more industrious and conscientious where, you know, you're kind of more rigid, you know, um, nothing wrong with that, but it's like, you know, putting a square in a, uh, putting a square peg in a square hole. And that's how we do things. And, um, um, you know, trying to f- figure out those, those, uh, that there's these objective personalities. And you think about it, you put, you know, a very highly creative person in a very environment that's highly non creative. There's, there's going to be some, some struggles there that, that were in my own experience. And one of the things I, I figured out was, um, have you ever heard of the alter ego effect? No. So there's this book it's called the uh, alter ego effect and he talks about where he is he's trained several people I uh shoot I I forgot to write this on my notes of the author but um he talks about how that there's famous stars that have figured out how to make alter egos so they can uh evolve and adapt to their environment from you know um from Football players going into an alter ego of like Jason and they're like, well, Jason's a monster, so I'm going to go onto this football field and be Jason to, um, you know, tennis players that were very highly skilled, but they wanted to play fair and they were holding themselves back by thinking of being a compassionate, empathetic person that they truly were to being more going into an alter ego of being aggressive and competitive. And getting that edge on the the other player and uh that's kind of where i i kind of figured out where i had to do to survive um and i think that's like you know that's really it's one thing that's really good that you should learn about yourself when you're you're very young is figure your strengths and your weaknesses and um there's there's that wiz, there's that wise there's that wise term that people have said before and it you know really resonates with me if you judge a fish by how it climbs a tree it'll go its whole life thinking it's stupid and so for 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 me being you know knowing that i am i'm an artist i'm an uh um a creative person and you put me in an industrious environment There's going to be some struggles and there's going to be some feelings that I, I'm kind of, you know, what am I doing here? You know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe I am kind of a little bit, uh, ignorant or foolish, but the reality is, is that that's not my strength. So to develop an alter ego of, well, how about I be this industrious person that's hardworking, that's like a little bit more rigid, um, and to go into that space in that you know, when you go through those gates in that job, and you become that person, you don't compromise your true self that is my artist. And uh, you go into this work space. I'm just kind of curious. have Have you ever thought and pondered that? Yes,
0: I have. And honestly, I think that's a very good way to put it the the beginning portion where you said it's like freedom and what were the two things you said art is the freedom and on of like exploring the unknown yeah it's like
1: one foot in reality and the other in like the unknown
0: yes yeah or i i absolutely think the two connect as well and um it really the thing i wanted to express was do you view artists as Another form of ex- exploration.
1: Um, yes, it's a exploration of the mind.
0: So it's it's the mental uh, plane of reality, the the, yeah. the mental realm in which history has time and time again, tended to, traditionally join, in efforts towards. Like I would say, maybe it's out of boredom, or maybe it's out of uh, imagination, or collective freedom in general to be able to express through art medium. That's been so inherently universal about art. Uh, I think that's something that fascinates me. With it is especially pottery. You know, we're talking about something that's been done for thousands upon thousands of recorded years. How do you explain? why each of those pots came into possession you know what what happened that defined a support or a a push towards making it nicer you know we could have just always had plain stuff right that could have definitely been a reality we could have built just with gray concrete everything be gray everything be blocked stone you know it's um you know, I'm not being realistic by saying that. It's there's wood and there's different uh, materials that we have, and that's that's kind of why we we diversify, we explore things. I just find that interesting. It's no different with the mental realm. Uh, it's well, such a passionate subject.
1: Well, uh, it's it's that that whole concept is also like um I can't remember. I think it was Picasso. He talked about you got to learn all the rules to then break them and uh that's that's also another uh part of art is that you are constantly evolving and and adapting you're like reshaping the wheel i mean you're taking the wheel and you're reshaping it and it's like you know um you look back through history and it's like you know we first were you know cave painting and then it went to like you know more uh sistine chapel uh I can't think of like tempera paint and taking egg and mixing it with pigment and putting it in the plaster and, you know, having to work really fast to do that, to like getting to more, uh, then they started discovering oil paint and, and the, the ability to, uh, work wet on wet and layer things. And then, uh, now we've kind of, you know, gone to acrylics and then now, now we're in this digital art age where uh, you don't really have a space and time of of needing to work with a material. It's just kind of finite um, and its own. But then it almost it almost seems as though it has its own limitations because uh, there's something about uniquely about physical materials to digital. You know, I've worked with um, some digital tools and it's like it almost seems like, you know, for instance, it can make like a paintbrush type of pattern that that creates texture and maybe when you're slapping it on it has 32 you know, i don't know um weird patterns and then it can it can um abstractly make uh compilations of them that could create a kind of like um chaotic pattern as though it it replicates oil paint, but there's something about like you, you add the paintbrush with the paint and the bristles and the canvas interaction. And there's just so much more. And then, you know, the, the instability of your hands, or maybe you're, you're feeling something in that moment and you're a little bit more aggressive, or maybe you are feeling a little bit more somber and it's soft, but Going back to just finding, exploring the comprehension of art, and it's like everything is is constantly evolving and adapting. Like you said with a pottery, we're constantly reinventing the wheel or adapting the wheel on on ideas of art. We're always challenging and breaking the rules.
0: Yeah, thinking about it, it, it's kind of like a conglomerate of... Uh, subjects i mean much much as everything else like history's probably the most straightforward because it's it's just records at the end of the day yeah. uh, it, it but it is a conglomerate of of everything that compiles into it that's but that's the nature of the beast uh with science and engineering and physics and philosophy you know psychology there's there's different elements From a lot of topics that help you dive into those subjects and break them down. That's something, you know, I I thought art would be more, you know, less subject to uh, with how people resonate with it. But the more I've understood how people value art, it's really about how they've experienced their own path. It's less about the structure of the art. Um, yeah, it, in some cases it is, but it depends why that person's there in that moment, and that's the explorative nature that I have come to consider more um, as I've gotten older and talked to people about it, because there's people that have done it for years and years, and you know they don't make a lot. but they're still happy because they're still doing new things from the time they, they started.
1: You mean they don't make a lot of money as an artist?
0: It, it yeah, and and in the medium that they they do, um, like street art, for instance. That's something yeah. I'm speaking from experience in San Francisco. Um, there's some friends I, I used to talk to on the streets that that you know what they did was art. They would make advertisements out of a uh, chalk and and washable, you know, chalk pens to help local business. Get some tourism, and it did help. You know, they got paid a little bit to do it, and it helped them on the streets. And I, I loved it. You know, that was a really cool way to get the locals involved without, you know, telling them to scram. Like, if you get them to work, you know, if they want to work and they want to help, like, for all means, there's no reason that a, a homeless person can't love or appreciate the community they're in. I know that sounds like opposite but it really isn't for everyone not everyone on the streets out to get you
1: yeah um i think i think a lot of what is lost and that's what i'm kind of figuring out is like you know it's it's all nice being able to make a beautiful piece of work but then that's where, where the side, the business side is lost, where to truly actually be successful almost in that dimension, you have to you have to be just as equally of a skilled businessman because now you're, you made this product and um, now you have to sell it and convince somebody of its value to the point that they're able to give you enough money to be sustainable and efficient enough. So, um, and it's like, where where do you even, you know, how do you even convince people of that? Because, you know, art can be so subjective that how does one argue it is worth that? Because it also, you know, one thing you have to feel out, you know, it is novel. Um, You look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the triangle, and really art falls into the very top of the, the triangles, like, you know, finding self. And it's not exactly, you know, you don't exactly need art. You could, some people could argue, you don't really need art to survive, but you also look around us and it's like, yeah, art is all around, you know, how did you figure out the, the, the fork in your kitchen? How did, how did that even come to be? An artist figured out how to craft that. You know, like your bowls, you know, artists had to craft that. Your advertisements to figure out where you're going to find your tires to put on your car. An artist designed that sign. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, methods, you know, that's another thing is like there's a lot more involved with art, too, is that uh, you look at uh, um, Surat, the pointless painter. He was a mathematician. Same with M.C. Escher, just highly involved scientists and mathematicians. There's a lot of you know scientific method going into making art. You know, you you have this hypothesis and this theory. Well, if I um, add these two colors together, that essentially they will visually mix and make this color, and there's that nuance of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think you're absolutely right where it's hard to identify why artists don't get the respect they deserve in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, it the past artists like Leonardo and Michelangelo, you know, famous names that come up, uh, different mediums. There's plenty of following for them you know there's plenty of respect that's given because people understand like that's a base a, a, a footnote a fundamental feature of, of study uh, you know of process at least I would think in, in like art school and such uh, people have come to to know like these techniques that these artists use and, and I would think that it's hard to understand much much like barbers i think barbers got respected a lot more in society before um you know maybe through fear <laughs> but the uh, uh just the fact that society operated differently and and today like with technology it's operating differently and i think people just forget to step back and and realize like even with web design to a degree an artist created that too
1: yeah um actually i kind of glad you brought up uh leonardo da vinci and how like he he's very well known and he's famous and uh the painting that leonardo da vinci made was the mona lisa that is actually kind of like the most known pop culture icon i mean it's up there with you know Uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night, you know, you you ask the average person that, you know, most people who don't even know anything about art, and you ask them about their favorite artist or a piece of art that they know, it's usually kind of one of those two, Um, especially with the Mona Lisa. And uh, I'm kind of curious, Cameron, do you know why the Mona Lisa is so famous?
0: I believe it had something to do with the way it was discovered, right? Um, um, I forgot. Like, in truth, I know that there's, a, it's an odd reason though.
1: Yeah. So most of the time people say, you know, well, it was her elusive smile and there's mystery to it and all this sort of stuff, like kind of the um, conceptualization of people analyzing the painting people kind of loosely bring up. But what it really was, was that when it was, for, before it was really kind of discovered as a pop culture icon, it sat on the wall of the museums with all the other paintings, and no one really noticed it. Well, what happened was there was one day there was a um, Italian uh, uh, maintenance worker that worked in the gallery, and uh, he had some some sort of idea that it was because da Vinci was Italian, and I believe um in the museum, it was in France. Uh, I think he was at the Louvre. Don't quote me on that, but um he uh, he looked upon the Mona Lisa and he had this idea of like, well, this belongs back in Italy, not here. So he actually. After he got off work, he he picked it up off the wall, tucked it under his arm, and, you know, just walked away with it and went to the bus and got it and drove home, and he stuck it in his closet. And no one even noticed for a while until they did. And then all of a sudden, it became, you know, a news news story. It be- it went from every local newspaper. All the way to the world, it was international news. It rose to, you know, the Mona Lisa has been stolen. And that, you know, wiped across the whole world. And all of a sudden, everybody was focused on, oh my gosh, the Mona Lisa is stolen. And that's how it became, uh, it got its provenance of being uh, such an iconic piece. Because then when it got returned, they found him, they took it back, they, they arrested him and everything. Uh, it you know, it became this such pop culture icon. Everyone knew about it, and now that it was back, everybody wanted to see it. They wanted to give it attention. So then they gave it its own wall, they put it you know, in what is it four inch glass, like they did all these crazy barriers and stuff like that. And you know, everybody wants to see it. Everyone wants to take a picture of it. And they really don't know the context of that is that it fell into provenance. Due to its fact of becoming such a media icon through history,
0: sure that that's really fascinating. Honestly, i i didn't um I didn't fully remember the the reason it got priced why it did. I knew that there was some crazy event that happened with the the painting being stolen. Um, that's pretty iconic, but yeah, it, know- it it's wild how it's been a. a how an event so simple can change the value of something.
1: And what's really interesting is that, you know, artists back in those days, they had apprentices and the apprentice and the understudy, you know, worked underneath the master artist to learn, you know, the work and, you know, they might be doing something, something as simple as they would be preparing the background and painting all the background for the master to come and do the, the figures. And, um, one of Leonardo da Vinci's, uh, understudies, he actually created his own version of the Mona Lisa and it has way more vibrant colors. And to me, I look upon it and I feel like I, I get more, more inspired by its superior command of color and shape. And, um, I mean, it has, the Mona Lisa has its own style of kind of like, um, to me, I would describe it as as more uh, desaturated colors, but um, a lot of more earthy tones. But, uh, you know, and another thing that is actually interesting is in that museum, everybody's surrounded by this Mona Lisa, but on the very exact opposite wall, there's like this giant canvas that's like, 10 feet by 15 feet i mean it's just a ginormous painting and it's just a masterpiece in its own truly and there's barely anyone looking at that everybody's so more focused on the mona lisa and it's only only why is because it's become a pop culture icon of provenance and um you know another thing i actually it's kind of interesting now that i brought that up because um I watched a video where they were pondering the idea of that art, in its traditional sense, was to to challenge the viewer to stand amongst it and let it challenge you and make questions about your life and your experience um, on you know a a a perspective of maybe even of the subconscious spiritual or you know or just ponder ideas about your life and. Uh, maybe even simple appreciation for life itself, like Van Gogh painting some oranges. And, you know, what's interesting is it's it's not... They find more and more art is not giving that service anymore. They find that, you know, most people, they give about, like, an average of eight seconds looking upon a piece, and they move on. And now it's become, with social media and the internet and cell phones, it becomes more of a a, a backdrop for your experiences on social media of look i went to this museum and saw all this art then i i went to this museum and let the art you know deeply like touch me in a way that that made me ponder my life and like reflect
0: yeah i i definitely think the connection aspect is different for people with short attention spans. You can't you can't say it. it's not different because it's the time frame where they have experience directly with or involved with that art, that medium where someone who's maybe spending time researching or having an education to understand that art is definitely more appreciative of the, the struggle of the art the creation process the design you know that the efforts put forth maybe they're not you know maybe they have their own reasons but but they've they've pushed to understand why they've crafted their their explanation and we we're, we're at a time where a lot of people want surface level knowledge you know oh well I could so the fact that I could know more means I should just Focus on what I want to know rather than what I could diversify and learn and again it it really depends to uh what that person's interested in there's plenty of people like myself that enjoy other podcast mediums for that reason like i I definitely listen to other podcasts where it's not something I could necessarily talk on but I enjoy hearing that subject because it helps expand my horizons, like medical podcasts. I'm no doctor. I, I love medicine, but it's not it's not my field of expertise. I couldn't actually come on here and and pretend like that is. you know it, it's not something I have a a right to. it's It's similar to an artist. I feel the same way. Like unless I have something to really show for for my art and, and through, through myself, it's, it's music. You know, it, I love doing music and the, that's the main art expression I, I tend to express, but it, it is different. I, you know, we're, we do different things and, and I value that about you. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, there's something I can always learn from your process.
1: Oh, well, that, that, that makes me feel very good. Thank you. Cause, uh, uh, I feel like that's also part of what a artist is is that they're they're constantly challenging the viewer and asking questions by diving into the unknown and like rendering it into physical form uh, through their their works. And um, going back a little bit on um, what I was talking about uh, with the uh, art has become more of more of a experience to share of their own lives than more of um or something that is like something to it's like become more of an accent of look at me and what I'm doing. Then it becomes more of your relationship and intimate relationship with that piece and standing amongst it and allowing it to speak to you. And, um, I have actually a really good example is that, um, I've had times where I, I've made this piece where it's a, it's about 42 by 36 and it's a, it's a world war one, Plastic surgery photo you could actually look it up online. If you look up uh, Willie Vicarage There was this plastic surgeon called Harold Gillies and he was signed in World War one To reconstruct soldiers faces that had been hit by shrapnel and so on and he came up with this method That was like the two pinnacle and if you look at Willie Vicarage, he's got it going on uh, where it's like kind of like these tentacles are kind of going to his face and when I first saw that, that picture, um, when I was looking up researching stuff about World War One, it uh, it 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 touched my soul so deeply that you know that war had this soldier that was representation of honor and strength and courage and fighting. Uh, it had literally contorted his full vid- visage into a grotesque monstrous form that people um, scorned. And it was like a full manifestation of of, of the monstr- monstrous acts of war. And I, I had to paint it. So I, I painted this, this painting. And uh, to me, it was um, when I first had it in the gallery, uh, to stand back and watch the viewer interact with the piece, was so fascinating because um, there's, you know, probably thousands of years of adaptation that we've had to be disgusted by grotesque, you know, visages, because it's like, you know, it's a survival skill. Like, you know, oh, this person's sick. I need to like be away from them because that's the, my survival. I diseased, I could get hurt. (laughs) But then you have this idea of, you know, art is this beautiful thing that, that it's beauty it's it's close to god it's perfection you know it challenges us in a good way so we would desire it we we um go towards it so then there is this um internal conflict within the viewer of that they enjoyed my my rendering of this piece through my skill but then the actual subject was a grotesque visage so there was that internal conflict of looking away but looking back at it and i had this piece hanging in my house and i brought some uh i i had some neighbors that were at the local college i'm at and uh they were they were softball girls or whatever and i, I brought them in and i showed my showed them my art and their their reactions became more of instead of allowing that concept to, to touch them, they were more on the lines of, oh, can I take pictures for my Snapchat story? People are going to think this is crazy. And I was like, sure. And then they, they were more apt about documenting it and setting it forth and then moving on. And um, I, I kind of find that very kind of interesting. Like, we are in this day and age where technology has kind of we've kind of lost our attention span to kind of sit back and ponder and like be in the moment and be in the present and allow things to affect us in a deep way like we're like with you know the new algorithms you know the uh, TikTok for instance and um all the 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 modes snapchat instagram you know um youtube reels you know all that stuff it's it's these new methods have like kind of lowered our attention span where we we can't really in this age we can't really take the time to really let things affect us like we're constantly moving in the 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 age of information i feel as though we're we're almost going towards this thing where uh if you know the movie incredibles where sindro says well when everyone is super no one is super and I I feel like in our age of information, it's it's almost the same concept: is that if you have all the information, you have no information. Yeah,
0: that's a sorry, that's a very good point to bring up. I think the reality is, teachers got to be at the place they're at because they took years of education in most cases to understand their subject it's kind of something we've come to expect with with masters of of a class or a a type of skill it's okay. going to take years to craft that kind of thing it, it takes years of working knowledge and, and at least general sense of what's going on to be able to explain it properly, and it becomes more apparent when people switch attention spans towards more diversification rather than quality. I mean, it's not to say there's no quality with diversity, but being able to retain the information is an important part. If you're unable to retain the information, then you're just cycling through and 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 being a statistic. At the end of the yeah. day, we're we're always a statistic, but are you gonna are you living for it? Is that what you crave? Because craving attention, even if it's it's through the form of content, always constantly being on the prowl for. I, I think you're asking for your attention span to just be faltered if you don't make it your main focus and you diversify through local networks maybe if if you're that it, it intensive of a person you know if you have like a need to fill where you need to insert yourself and and try to develop more of a hands-on networking approach like where you're directly helping to fuel or support a passion project or a various industry like art art's definitely a medium where people tend to donate for supplies or various things and yeah that's that's positive you know i think art supplies for kids that's a very positive thing when i see yes, uh, things yeah. like that i'm like yeah, that's great man like like if there's anything to help a, a kid in any environment Get outside of their head. I know, as a kid, I would have appreciated that kind of help, and yeah. and I I always did when it came up. You know, it, it's there's good people out there, and and it's not to say that everyone's trying to be a downer or just trying to ruin their attention spans because they watch short content. And I, I hope people don't take it that yeah. way because I yeah. I do watch short content too, but I make sure it's not my full range of content exploration. Especially for the day, if I sit there for multiple hours on end watching shorts, and I've done it, I've done it a couple of times oh, I, really unintentionally. It I, yeah, it, it's I'm, addictive.
1: I'm, I, yeah, I'm not saying that uh, you, you know, oh, you inferior peasants watching short content. No, uh, it's you know, it's it's just the data is there that you know those those platforms I'm saying are engineered. To de- you slowly develop a short tension span, and it's it's good to be conscientious of that. There's Absolutely. nothing nothing wrong with that, and I, I'm saying um, what's kind of great about algorithms, in a sense, is that they do create these um, um effects where it, it 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 it'll pander to what you're interested in and set up a, a method of a form of that. Like your for you page. And what I'm saying is, like, it is good to be exposed to the other things and, uh, you know, get pull inspiration from other things. But I mean, like, for instance, you know, the, the reality is, is our lives are, are um, not infinite, it's finite. We only have so much limited time, and there's value in being able to master a skill in something. And that's that's why we be master things, because we have to sacrifice our time to to hone in because we, we only have a limited time. And so uh, if you can set up, you know, the idea of like, if you can set up and become a masterful skill in whatever thing you do and you have this algorithm and you hone into that certain thing, um, to me, I feel that's going to that's going to help you out in the long run then uh you know i've been there too where it's like you know you're you might be watching an art video and then you scroll upwards and then suddenly it's it's a guy you know icing a cake or like someone popping some balloons or something like that and it's like this is entertaining but is it is it really like enriching my soul is this really challenging me is it you know helping me out you know and i mean there's nothing wrong with like maybe you worked all day and you just want to relax and enjoy something like someone popping some balloons. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying that, you know, I'm kind of being more aware that, you know, technology and devices, they, they have been viciously designed to harvest your time on watching content in this form.
0: Yeah, that, that couldn't be more true. I mean, there's been research out there for years at this point, and, and if you don't know, you you should know that these these platforms are addictive. You know, they're they're in a sense gambling for time.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and um, so it's like just I I I would just say be like you know um be more consciously aware of that, and not even be consciously aware of that, but it's also my whole thing is like uh, being in an age of of information, you know, if if everyone's kind of a jack-of-all-trades of of knowing a little bit of all information, to me, I feel like there's going to be a lot more value. You're going to go a lot farther on being able to hone in on a certain skill and you're going to have a lot more meaning in your life from I've seen with other people's experiences. Of, of having the ability to really be in-depth on on a, a certain thing, you know, to be skilled and masterful, master one particular thing. It takes 10,000 hours to master anything. So that, that's kind of mainly what I was saying, is that... Uh, and in an age of, of kind of absorbing a little bit of everything there's you know it's going to be really hard it's it's going to be a hard struggle and it's 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 a trial in itself for the new generation and the generations now of 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 how do you master something and put in the 10,000 hours when you you are living in a time and age of 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 fighting this battle of constantly being fed information and and in a form of almost distraction does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's hard to ignore. You know, it, it, it. That's kind of why I spoke openly about it. It. There's so much knowledge that we have on on addiction at this point. I'm confident in saying social media is addictive because I've experienced it for years. I still use it. I'm actively using it right now to record the show with you. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a necessary evil. That's something I view it as. And and I don't like saying it evil, but it, that's just the phrase. It's, it's a necessary evil of, of things I have to use daily. The amount that I use it is fully in my control and my capability to express how much I want to control. I'm not forced or obligated to to necessarily use it for an extended period of time. I, I just need it briefly. You know, and and anything that I do for an extended period of time on it is is by choice. And, yeah. and taking back control of the reins of your time management is important. I think a lot of people avoid that because it takes change and it, it would mean I identifying something else to do in that time. But again, there's other things to do like podcasting. Uh, listening to maybe a documentary or uh, something in the background. Like, that's something I do a lot of times.
1: Meditation, yeah, I'm it's, here.
0: It, it's hard for me to really want to get involved. Um, at times I, I think about it, and I'm like, that's great. Why don't I do this more? There's other times, I'm like, oh man, I, I'm too sleepy. Like, w- the last thing I want to do is fall asleep in my chair. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's not worth my time, but it should always be worth your time to value mental health.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, that's actually, um, you made, you made a good point with uh, the addictions and I kind of was thinking about how, um, we've had thousands of years of evolution and adaptation of, you didn't get self gratifying tasks and things that give you, you know, dopamine highs, uh, right off the bat you know if you wanted ice cream you you had to make it or you didn't have ice cream it was you know a piece of fruit that you had to climb up a tree for and we live in a such an age of convenience that you can be able to just go to the store and grab ice cream and get that dopamine rush like right away to me it's like that's that's a battle in itself too is that you know um if you're constantly being able to have self gratifying, uh, self gratification right away, um, you, you can also kind of be desensitized and numb to those things. And then those things don't give you as much of a, a hit anymore because you can just freely get them compared to do the work. And then it becomes, it, it becomes way more. You, you have a, I think that's one thing I've noticed in my own life is like, you know, I, I've had an age where, you know i I was definitely getting into the point where it was like, you know, you you you're consuming all these things that give you dopamine highs right away. You get self-gratification. and you're, you know, it's stuck in this state of resistance. There's actually this book. It's called the um War of Art, and he talks about self-gratification and resistance. And you, um, You go towards those things because, you know, you look thousands of years before, um, you know, people, you work towards that. You work towards the comforts because you were in constant struggle. You were in constant stress. So there was high value in those things. So our bodies crave those things. You want those things. You want sugar for those energies. But it took a whole lot more effort to get those things than we are now in those ages so it's like um to kind of reel it back in and like okay well let's let's do the work and meaningful tasks and you know take the work and time to do those things and skills to master and then you get way more you get way more satisfaction and appreciation and value for those, those feelings because you know, all the work you did to make that thing like a a piece of art, you know, you know, I, I get, you know, you sit down and you do oil painting and you do out the drawing and then you sit there and you do the first layer of the painting, and the second layer, and then you do some glazes and you take all this time. And then eventually when it's, it's finished it's like oh man the adrenaline rush and the the just the feelings of just just satisfaction of like i took all this time and now it's finally finished and i can like enjoy the fruits of my labor is you know way more satisfying than any you know i don't shot easy shot of dopamine like eating a slice of pizza or you know i don't know (laughs) a simple example
0: no, but but truly, it it is something that affects you over time. It it affects your neural pathways.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and um, actually, bringing up a slice of pizza is that uh, I did watch this this um video of um this Buddhist monk, and I'm um, not trying to get get religious or anything like that. It was just more of he talked to phil- had a f- philosophical idea that um he was like you know people people eat pizza and he's like do people eat it for nutritional value and he's like well not really you know it's not it doesn't have a whole lot of nutritional value people eat it because they 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 seek like this happiness they like you know they eat a slice of pizza and it's like the anticipation of eating it and swallowing it and it's going to give you this this form of of happiness and then it's not there so then they have another slice and they have another slice and he's like, but with someone that has inner peace, you have this inner peace and this satisfaction, you're able to enjoy those things and uh, and you won't have to eat as much. He's like, I don't need to get a giant cup of coffee because I can enjoy a small cup of coffee um, because I have that inner peace that I am happy and that I'm just in in, in eating that things and you know it's just the thing is like i you know the meaning of life is like in having purpose and having a task and ma- mastering a thing there's that inner peace and then you have no need for that seeking of self gratification because you're you're just a a person that is satisfied and has inner peace and you're just enjoying a slice of pizza and it's it's like a slippery slope you can fall upon that's that's what i've 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 accumulated through my own
0: life. yeah, no, that that adds up. it's it's very hard to know when the right time is to enact change, especially. When you take overall change and in general into consideration, you have to acknowledge that there's a part of society that changes with you, or you change with it. But either way there there's constant flux of things that and environments around you that you interact with that change. You know yeah. nothing really stays consistent at the end but, of the day, even plants plants move you know
1: and I think I think that's also um another trial in itself is that you know we are we're also in an age where it's like technology and industries are moving so fast and To adapt and evolve is like, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like, like for instance, AI art, if we want to get onto that, how do I compete with a robot that could render five pieces of art, digital art, you know, right away when it takes me like a month to just make one piece and, um, I know people are using it as a tool to to uh, manipulate on their own, to come up with concepts and things like that. But um, that, that right there is like, you know, a challenge in its own with just how technology is moving so fast and to adapt and evolve on that. But uh, like you said, enacting change, um, that's another struggle in its own is like... Uh, I, I think that's why I'm t- I'm talking about uh, mastering a skill and 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 you know making a sacrifice and choosing to to put that ten thousand hours in because um there part of the struggle too is of change is that you having this informational age you have all these things telling you all these things you could do you know you could be, become a professional power washer or you could like work on cars or fix cell phones and look at this person they're doing this and that you you have all these opportunities in front of you and all this stimulation of information and um to to have the ability to to kind of stand there and say well no I'm going to just focus on this one thing and I'm gonna master this one thing. It's like you know that's that's really hard. You know when you're you're getting constant stimulation from all these different things.
0: The AI discussion is definitely a big portion of how people view the art medium right now. I I think they they feel like oh well we should protect artists, but but where's that support when when they need? help at local events and and you know sometimes coordination isn't as quality as it could be in any town there's there's things that can be improved and people have to be willing to make sacrifices for the community you know if we want to see more done around the area around us we have to stimulate that change um doesn't mean you you're going to become city mayor and, and and enact different policies like in Sim City or something. But yeah, i mean keeping a conscious mind about you when it comes to change that you can affect change and enact it as well as participate with it is important. You know, it's important to being a good citizen, quote unquote. But to have citizenship is to have order to some degree and to have order is to have society so if if you ask me it's a necessary uh, turn of events it, that most philosophy would point you to do um, in yeah. most cases even even the Bible tells you be lolly you know be 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 presentable be uh, acknowledged on your local area like that's 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 up to you you have to seek that kind of participation um and if you struggle you know build a network that can help you do that
1: that's also that's also an interesting idea in itself because like you look um it's like oh well you need to be a part of society and it's almost at at the same point it's like they're we're kind of losing a society into a point because it's like some of those those foundations were based off of you know more of thousands of years of, of tribalism of like villages being so, so big and you needed to be part of the village because, you know, if you didn't, then you were, you were outcast. You, we needed everyone to participate, to survive. And you, you know, with, with the age and and technology and everything that we have, we don't really need that anymore. And even, even, even on upon that, what's a really interesting thing is like, um, What I found is interesting is like, uh, for instance, like uh, dating and finding a mate, it's uh, that thing's been turned on its whole head with technology in itself. Because, for instance, you might be in a small town and you might be thinking, well, here I am. You know, I'm a pretty decent guy, pretty good looking or pretty decent looking girl, you know, whatever, whatever you are. um, And you I have all these values and I'm going to go, you know, go go out to the market and date and date some people. And it's like, well, you know, you might think, well, I'm, I'm competing with the rest of the town. And on the perspective of the town, my value is pretty high. But that's that's been totally thrown out with the age of technology and social media that now you are competing on a world scale. And if you're competing on a world scale, how in the heck are you supposed to compete if you're a college kid? And they're trying to you know try and get with another college kid, but you're competing with a guy that lives in a big old city that has an infinity pool and a mansion, and they're reaching out um, you know, the implications of that to me are, you know it's it's crazy. How do you compete with that? You, you don't.
0: Or you find a new avenue of expression to compete with it, and that's that's kind of what we're seeing is people are trying to express through being an influencer. That's, that's one thing that's come up in more recent times. I mean, it's not to say that, um, there's not roles that aren't influencing. And that's why a lot of people hate that term, but it's not, it's not to change that some people still call themselves influencers out there and expect that to be a, a, a nine to five.
1: Yeah. Um, that's actually that's actually really good. Interesting. Um, you bring that up with influencers, and yeah, that's like the new that's like the new career path everybody wants, you know. Now, and you know, to me, it's like it's kind of interesting because it's like, well, what what is an influencer? Like, um, like you're always you're always you're always capitalizing on the same trends, and like you're you're trying to get all the sponsorships and and things like that. And it's like, to me, I'm like, is there, is there a nuance to, to it? You know, like, is there a moral hierarchy of influencers where it's like, well, you know, they might have a million followers, but you know, they might be pushing ads that have nothing related to them compared to somebody who maybe might not have as many followers, but they're, you know, they're relatively using products that they actually use that are of quality. And, um, you know, is it quality content, or is it something that they're constantly trend-seeking? And I, I kind of wonder if there's a heart hierarchy of that. Like, I, I haven't really really dove too much into that, but what, what do you think of that?
0: I honestly think that there is a sense of appreciation people come to find from... Having a sense of it, like, like there's, let me put it this way: there's good content creators and there's bad content creators. We all consider certain content creators good, like, yeah. that. Like, I would say at this point, even if you don't watch them, you'd you'd come to respect that PewDiePie is a good content creator. Mr. Beast is a good content creator. Um, there, where's another one? Like, Cory Kenderson, he's a good content creator. Why? because they they're successful they they have a following actively to a degree that proves success to the medium that they're trying to access
1: but that that to me is like um it's kind of a thing where it's like you you could you could say yeah using um the amount of followers could be a measurement for success but that's what i'm saying is like um it's It's kind of interesting because we all know about the algorithm. and you know there's there's pumping of of quantity and quality. and there's there's been things where people are like, you know, I make quality content, but I don't catch that weekly post that you know, Instagram, for instance, is like, oh they I don't catch the weekly post that Instagram, you know, requires for me to be for them to keep pumping me out and exposing me to people. So it's like, you know, somebody might be able to make, a really quality editing and like be like icing cakes and doing all this cool editing and audio programming and like actually teaching people knowledge and you could you could objectively agree that it is quality content but you compared to the person who's just type you know put put their voice on a very high pitch you know tone put all the 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 tags for like you know to get the algorithm of children and be dancing around, popping balloons and blowing bubbles, and th- they can do that really easily and fast. And you know they can post out two or three three videos per week, and now they have four million viewers. So on that on that measurement, you could say, well, they are a successful channel, and they they they're very successful, and they're of, of, of almost arguably quality. But you could also argue that it's it's not, you know.
0: Well, you know, and the the reason I think um, personally I'm gonna stay away from doing shorts. Like I've thought about it, and you know what? I if I do shorts, it's gonna be on a separate page, not linked to my main accounts, um, and it's gonna be very purpose built. Gonna be very short. Like uh, ironically, Uh, there wouldn't be a lot of shorts. That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm not (laughs) interested in that, that kind of content because, as a viewer and this is when I was just thinking this over a minute ago too. it. Yeah. It, it's really tough to want to connect with the, the medium at that level, because if I invest my time. So, okay, let me put it this way. Like YouTube's algorithm. Yeah. Um, it's, it, for instance, for instance, YouTube, but it's but it's not the only platform that does this. Yeah, there's it. The catalyst is success. So, like, if you have following, it doesn't matter where that following came from. If if you told, just say you had a hundred thousand people theoretically you could you could post to, and you, this is your first video on YouTube, and you have no footprint, but you had fifteen thousand views um boom you know you would you would instantly find yourself thriving an algorithm because you're essentially fifteen thousand percent success yeah like uh, from from before which was you weren't on youtube so yeah you're talking about a huge boost the algorithm sees that as Mm -hmm. oh that's that's exponential right that's exponential growth um so you can manipulate that system, and that's what we see happening now with the shorts. Uh, people are are using it as another tool, yet again, to to manipulate how people feel, uh, and and view content. And YouTube's changing their algorithm to correspond and try to figure out how to individualize it more. I think because they've seen how rapidly successful some of the short uh, shorts content have been on like TikTok where people, and I've talked to older people about this too, oh, it's not that bad because you're scrolling through and you can just skip the stuff you don't want to see. Well, yes, but what if you just start seeing things and you see half a second things like someone blowing bubbles or someone icing a cake, for instance, right? And you just start skipping over any of that content that you see. Yeah. instinctively because you've started training yourself I don't want to be a, a, a dog you know a, a pa- yeah. Pavlov's dogs trying to uh, wait for the bell to ring for the video I want to watch like no I want to sit there I want to sit back open up my mind you know okay what am I watching let's let's really think about this like let's get something out of this like I've been on YouTube enough do I really need to come here every day and to get a happy dopamine or should I learn something should I take this tool and actually apply myself to it?
1: Yeah. You know, actually uh you you actually when you were bringing up the, the working content, and making the shorts and saying you didn't really want to do that. Um, it made me actually think I, I think I'm gonna share this. As uh I'm kind of building this method where I was kinda of thinking where it's like, you know, you have uh you have your quality and quantity. And like I was saying before, uh, you know, like these these YouTube algorithms they, they more they more reward you for your quantity and posting at a certain time and so many things with hashtags and everything like that. And I do notice where there's a lot of creators where it's like, you know, well, I try and make quality content, but then I can't keep up with the algorithm. So it's like, it's either I keep up with it and I burn myself out and then I'm like kind of miserable because I'm constantly chasing the dragon or it's like, I lower the quality of my content and then I have a better quantity but then at the end of the day, it's like, you know, there's that. And it's like, well, how do I get best of both worlds? And I was thinking, it was like, I've been trying to to figure out, well, it's like, you know, well, what is the the algorithm and how does it do this this thing? And it's like, okay, well, if it rewards you, you know, for say you you post every week for three months, and that is the 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 method of how how you get that content. And it's like, oh, there's certain thumbnails it rewards, and there's certain hashtags that are just by default are successful and so i was thinking well you know in this age if that's where you come into delaying gratification and you do the work and say for instance you you take a video and you put a lot of good quality content in it you do really good audio footage you do a lot of a little good editing you put in a lot of information and you do a work that when you someone watches that video they're going to be super impressed and entertained and they're going to want more So. You do that, you make that video, but then you make 12 more that could fill every video for each week for three months and you put that into your channel and you save it and that seems like a lot of work and you're not getting a whole lot of reward instantly and I could see there could be that instant desire of like, oh, I just want to post one and see if it works. But if you know what works and what doesn't work and then you do that and then you set up a date and now you have this inform. Now you have this this uh, whole amount of videos and resources that you can now just. All you got to do is w- schedule appointments to post every week. You don't have to worry about all well, making it. Now you just got to put it out there. And now, now I feel like theoretically, now you can, you can get full success because now you're you're you are activating the quantity and the quality of your work and you're doing it all in the reward basis in the square of of of, um requirements for the algorithm to reward you for for posting and uh that's kind of like the method i've been kind of working on and i feel like that that's what, what you need to be going towards does that make sense
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's it makes a lot of sense because it's something that you need to manipulate into working for you. That's that's how you get algorithms to work and to be understood is when you yourself understand it. Um, if you're not able to work with with how the structure is best used, then you're always going to end up subpar to the top creators. Um, whereas I've seen small channels boost their way through. I mean, I, I've viewed YouTube for over 10 years. I know my algorithms built. Um, you know, constantly evolving, of course. I, I'm constantly changing my interests. I'm not a 10-year-old kid, you know? Like, <laughs> I I enjoy different content. And it's changing to the degree where I get small creators you know, that that come in that I've never seen before, but because their content relates enough uh, and and their algorithm proves worthy of finding new viewership, it it puts it out to me, you know, it puts it out to others. And and that's where I find it's awesome, you know, like that's powerful, but we need to use it in a way that's, Going to not break us as individuals in our day to day. Yeah, budget. yeah. No one wants to to talk to the the Facebook surfer guys. Uh, just so you know out there, and and I love you. Whoever does it, and you know, you've you've talked to me, and 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 it's not just one person. I'm speaking to the crowd here. No one, no one wants to sit and listen to you at work, sitting there, in the workplace talking about barbara and her facebook posts about being upset about an article like that's that's so dated people are over that the majority of people really want quality from their social media experience now yeah not just bull you know
1: yeah it's it's filler and then it's also like you know um to me i find it it's like you know um People will do radical stuff like, you know, like a lot of YouTubers, they're doing like shock content where it's like, oh, it's just a prank, bro. And it's like you're you, you you're, like harassing people to the point that they're like being violent against you. Like that's not it's not quality content. That's that's you being a menace to society. It's shock content. And I mean, shock content is valuable in its own, but in the context, I think is is more of um it's like a social, a societal social thing of like there' I guess that that falls into a subjective of like moral, morally superior or inferior. but um, um, it's like the algorithm rewards this shock content to a point because like that that's another thing is it seems like, you know, sometimes the internet, it rewards, you know, Negativity, because people are more apt to want to comment and share this and be outraged. So then it's like the algorithm picks that up and it's like, and then and then so all of a sudden you're like, man, I have I have all, all this like negative stuff on my feed. And I'm reacting to it right now because it's negative. And um <coughs> that, that 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 on that side is like almost interesting in itself to me. That phenomenon. Yeah.
0: yeah, you start connotating it with a negative association, and that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that's where social media becomes the the uh, the what's the word? Um, that's where social media becomes the catalyst. I I guess we'll say for trouble. The active life of the outdoors coming up people are looking to be out and about more sasquatch farm cbd brings organically grown products in the sierra nevadas from the soil to the people farmer john has worked on green projects on the farm since 2013. he looks forward to providing you with the highest quality soaps salves cbd tinctures pre-rolls along with some other fresh products it takes a community in farming to survive. So any efforts made to support our farmers in the world helps to support our society as a whole. So remember, if you can't catch them out on the farmer's market, catch them online at SasquatchFarmsCBD.com. That's SasquatchFarmsCBD.com. Thank you. Now back to the show.
1: Yeah, when it's like, uh, it almost, um, especially for those prank channels, it's like then it's all of a sudden now you're getting this attention, now you're getting all these followers, and you can get sponsorships, and it's it's rewarding your negativity.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, it I I know it sounds like we're critiquing heavy on this, and and we are, but it it it's to the degree of trying to state that with art, this is the the platform you're dealing with yes you're dealing with a hyper energetic hyper fixated community that that is very critical of what they see and what they view and how they view it so if you're an artist nowadays you're not just an artist most most times you're you're doing graphics design you're doing a little bit of video editing maybe uh photography um there's some form of digital media though it, to a degree and and with ai implementation a lot of these artists are are nervous you know and and, and i i can't help but agree you know that this is going to be a problem for this foreseeable future about digital art and oh. and the potential ai programs have <laughs> in affecting that market
1: yeah i i am um... One thing I think I find in my own life is like, you know, I recently have been um, I've been uh, experimenting with a couple a couple uh, ideas of like doing um, kind of doing portraits and figures and then making them look like kind of like wood and painting them like wood grain and knots and stuff. And uh, just recently, actually, some um, some people saw my work because I, I gave it to a couple friends and family. Uh, and they just ranted and wa- raved, and they wanted to see a bunch of it like right now. I want more of it. I want to see social media. And I haven't, I haven't really developed any social media yet. Like I said, I kind of have this method. I want to make a, a large amount of of work, and then like kind of, you know, ramp it all out so I can kind of get like a, a kickstart and a, a good run with my uh, with the media and algorithm. And uh, you know, it's like. I kind of think to myself, it's like, you know, man, it's it's really hard to keep up with the demand where it's like, you know, I want more of this. And it's like, uh, well, sorry, I, I, I kind of literally watch paint dry for fun. So it's going to take a while.
0: <laughs> no, thanks for all that information, Matthew. And, and honestly, I, I wanted to lead into talking about a fun fact about yourself. So anything fun that you've done? Um, maybe in the last few years or in the past that, that really reflects your character? It
1: reflects my character? Mm. Yeah, pause for dramatic effect. I gotta, I gotta think of a couple
0: things. That's okay. The audience is silently judging. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs>
1: Um, the thing that popped in my head was uh, uh, I did some fire spinning and uh, spitting fire. Yeah, I when a did co- you do that? Um, like uh, several months ago, like in the summer, uh, I had some friends that uh, they're part of a group where they spin fire and they're like uh, fire performers. And they We went out to the forest one time and they are just playing some music and uh, playing with fire and I asked them, I was like, hey, uh, could I could I try this? And they're like, sure, you know. And uh, all all it is is that they take um, they take like a corn flour, and you like or corn starch. It's corn starch. Uh, and you put it in your mouth, and then you take the the torch and you put it up and you spit the corn starch in 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 front of you into the torch, and then it creates that effect of like you know blowing fire. And uh, I did that several times. And I had like a consistent blowing of of cornstarch, and it made this giant long flame. And it was it was a pretty cool thing. And I spun the the baton a little bit, but it was a little bit um, <laughs> it was a little bit intense because you you do have to keep it going for because it's got white kerosene on it, so uh, it can burn up really fast. So you have to keep it consistent and spinning. And there's all kinds of techniques of balance, but um. I would say that was definitely an experience that I thought was really interesting that um yeah
0: No that's <laughs> that's really awesome honestly. Um No that's interesting Matthew. I, I think fire dancing is is one of those things a lot of people dream to experience uh and and you know it's something I I've, I want to do. <laughs> I I have no experience doing it personally but that that's cool. I didn't know about the cornstarch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was definitely a trip for me. Cause I, I feel like there was some kind of secret formula or, you know, like it was like kind of, you know, Hollywood smoke and magic mirrors sort of a thing. And then it's like just simple as cornstarch. And I'm like, Oh, well, okay. You know, yeah, of course I'm... they have a lot of safety regulations in place, you know, like, you know, they got fire extinguishers everywhere and you gotta be in an open area and, you know, um, like I said, yeah, spin the baton in a certain way to keep the the white the white kerosene moving, but um, yeah, it's uh, you know some of those those dancers, they're you know they've they've honed their skill, and it's quite a uh it's quite a uh skill to behold and witness in the moment. It's quite a, a intense a spectacle, uh, spectacle. Yeah, that's a good word, spectacle.
0: Yeah, it came to mind that but that's that is exactly how I feel when I see fire dancing. Um like w- one experience I I'm thankful and fortunate to have is, is seeing fire dancing in Hawaii. I only only got to see it once, but Really? But like wow, yeah, I, I got to go to a actual luau in uh uh 7th grade and that was that was definitely an experience I wouldn't wouldn't trade because just the cultural experience, man. I'd, I'd never seen uh such a coordinated group of dancers with with live fire i mean yeah the local dances are are great too don't get me wrong it's yeah uh, there's great groups but um seeing seeing you know traditional luau uh decorations decor and and, uh, cosmetic is is just it's really powerful you know yeah it shows how old the tradition is i wanted to move forward and ask you actually if there was any points on the art discussion right now in in modern society where you feel there's new forms of art emerging that you think are are paving the way you know maybe maybe making something that people aren't used to seeing uh in the art world. Hmm. Yeah. Even if it's underground, um, you know, small, small scale, there's I know there's always cool little projects going on.
1: Yeah. I would say uh I don't know one that popped right into my mind is that there's actually this South African artist that I saw a couple of years ago and he takes pieces of plastic and he cuts them into strips and they're colored pieces of plastic and he takes a heat gun And he like melts them onto the canvas and makes this kind of, he's like a watercolor artist, but he makes these kind of like portraits out of like melted plastic. And uh, I thought that was like a very, really interesting, unique um, medium to use that. And then it almost kind of puts this kind of recycle effect. So it's like almost a green environment kind of ideal. And kind of spreads awareness for like, you know, some of the situations in Africa with the the trash and such. But um, I don't remember his name, but I mean, if you literally looked up probably South African artist uh, uses plastic to make art, uh, it would come up. And um, that to me, I saw that that was really some interesting stuff. There's uh, I think JM Sculpture is on YouTube and he makes he'll take uh, pieces of wood. And he'll he'll buy all these different types of species and grains of wood and he'll stack them up and then he'll pour uh, uh, resin and epoxy molds all over in his square and then he'll chainsaw and sculpt these like, you know, pictures of wildlife, you know, like a, like a seal or uh, a whale or like, you know, different types of animals. And uh, he, cl- you know, cleans it all up, and it's like you know, you see this translucent, clearish, uh, plastic glass-looking sculpture with like all of these different grains and uh, colors of different wood species, and that to me is really interesting. He also does uh, tire art too. He'll he'll sculpt like a, for instance, sculpt a of crocodile, and he'll put uh he'll make a fiberglass mold and then he'll cut strips of tire tread and he'll put it all over it. And it creates this texture of like this crocodile, but it's all made out of tires. Um,
0: That's really neat.
1: Yeah. Really cool stuff, man. Um,
0: It reminds me of something my grandpa would make with a, like, I I won't describe the process because something I want to maybe, maybe make too, like, um, but it, it, it had to do with like, um, exotic woods and, and making them into, like, containers for ashes or uh, joints or cigarettes, cigars, things uh. like that. Like, um, but he he would have uh, lathed them by hand and um, worked with the wood to create a piece that could open and close with one screw. And that was, like, his, his big thing he was trying to do that before he passed away and uh i'm i i I have his machine so hopefully i can pick up on that
1: actually uh speaking of wood i actually recently so where where i live in this rural area um there's been um some trees that they've migrated over like way back in the the olden times when they all migrated over and they brought these trees with them and they're not native here but they're uh They're called black locust trees. And uh, I was, you know, just trimming up some of the branches in the backyard. And um, I thought to myself, well, can I sculpt with this? How about I look up some information? And I figured out um, it pulled up some hardwood. And uh, it's a hardwood. And this guy popped up and he started talking about how uh, it's actually UV reactive. And I was like, wait, what? And I've been I've been get actually get, been getting beginning into blacklight art. I've been trying to do some stuff with some black and light art, like a visible UV paint and stuff like that. Kind of playing with concepts. That's but, really cool. Uh, to hear that was just kind of crazy. And I mean, this guy he he uh, he took a, a lathe and he made like this this pot out of this locust tree, and then he turned on a blacklight and he's like, you know, that the ions and the in the wood and stuff like that. They absorb the UV light, but they don't know how to expel it. So the way they expel it by glowing and it turned like, you know, a yellowish, you know, glow to it. This wood and it's yeah, that to me was so trippy and to find out that was just wood that was sitting in my backyard. I was like, "What?"
0: Oh, that's so cool too. And that's something on like a psychedelic trip if if you were to hear it. Um, yeah. you know, someone'd be like, "Oh, I'm bringing out the the a uv tree man <laughs> Do you see that and you're like whoa it's radioactive you know yeah and it would be something cool to to just have cool, a, that and that's that's exactly where art thrives right is when when people are in expressive states of mind you know when they can relate
1: um, it's one of those things where it's like a question everything you know and that was to me that i literally unlocked that badass secret by like just asking the simple question of like you know well could I work with this and like looking deeper into it and taking the time to look into it and then finding that out and being like whoa that's that's crazy Uh powerful in the future if I can find I I have a friend he has a big old tree and he has chunks of it and I think it would be cool if I could get into chainsaw art and if you could like sculpt some big old pieces out of it and make something cool, I mean, I think that'd be cool to have like a chainsaw wood sculpture that reacts in uh, UV. Absolutely. I, yeah, finding that was was really really cool. So I mean, um, yeah, it's just yeah. coming up with abstract expressions and stuff. And I mean, like finding a hmm i trying to think of, like, other artists that I've, like, followed in the past that are, like, just super, super trippy. But, I mean, you know, you see all these, um... Sometimes I see see artists with, like, optical illusions where they'll, like, you know, they'll hang p- chunks of wood or, like, paper all, all from the ceiling. And it's all, like, layered in all this weird, chaotic way, and they'll put a light on it. And then you look at an angle, and it casts a shadow of, like, this crazy you know, shadow portrait. And then they put another light on a separate angle and it creates a totally different shape on top of that. And to me, that is just like some 4d chest, like 200 level IQ where I'm like to even just sit there and comprehend the work it would take to like, you know, just make one picture, but to make like kind of this, this, um, this floating sculpture, Make multiple pictures from multiple angles is just to me is just like some some level of like I I I want to be like you know ask this artist be like do you have like a level of like understanding physics and like certain science and mathematical properties because I'm like this to me seems like sol- sol- sorcery or witchcraft you know like
0: yeah yeah and and you know it's honestly uh something that ties into the next question I wanted to ask you is there a point in time where you really gained an appreciation for wood because you seemed to be really interested in the idea of doing that that wood art (coughs) and i just wondered if there was correlation with the work you've experienced in the past 10 years or is that something you've um, tried to um, develop more ways to interact with uh, from being in a rural area
1: I'm I'm actually uh I'm glad you actually brought that up because uh it kind of goes with the whole thing I was bringing up before of like you know um the characteristics of like kind of being uh, a creative person in an uh, an on a non-creative environment industrial environment I worked at a uh I worked at a lumber mill and uh, uh you know going into this this place and it's like you know you you gotta work and you know it seems cut and dry where it's like you know there's just you know everything's you know caution yellow and you got railings and machines and uh, a loud environment and things come in and things come out you know there's not a whole lot of like well i can't really be inspired in this place but you know i i worked a job where it's like you had to um interact with the wood you have to like grab it and throw it into certain places to send it uh on the conveyor belts to be you know refinished or whatever so my part of my job was to stare at this piece of wood and go okay is there like too much weighing on it is it not dimensional i need to throw it to this belt so it can be going to another machine to be refinished to be more square and you know, what was kind of trippy about it was like, you know, you're just you're running, you're running different species, like, you know, your white fir, your Douglas or uh your sugar pine or your ponderosa pine. Like for instance, uh sugar pine will get this like um stain on it. Uh some people say it's a kind of um what is it? a, a kind of moss or not a moss, but uh um
0: lichen li- or algae?
1: Yeah, like a lichen or allergy, but I've heard it's just stain. It's when the wood gets old, but it'll get this blue stain on it. And it'll get this blue stain all through this yellowish pine. And, you know, it just touches in weird ways. And, like, you know, you'll get that. Or, like, you know, maybe the tree had his disease or, like, you know, uh, it broke at some point or, like, someone put a nail in it and it creates these knots and these gaps. So then you get this board that hops up. And it's like, whoa, this is, like, trippy. Like, I mean, if uh, if you know what burl is, uh, burl is when, when these trees, they get this, like, kind of, like, rounded, tumorous mass on them, and they actually don't know how to uh, fabricate that. The supply and demand, um, they don't know how to farm that because it's, like, some kind of disease or, like, somebody will put a nail on it, and it's just how the tree reacts and grows. But when they cut into these burls, and if you see some of these burls, I mean, it looks like a psychedelic, you know, trip, you know, like, I mean, it's like the all the, the, the grains are just kind of wavy and Crazy. Uh, yeah, it just looks like it was born out of the sixties or something, you know? Um,
0: <laughs> well, but, and, you know, that, that's actually a good point to bring up and, and I'll be brief. Cause I don't want to cut you off it. This is great. It's yeah. just the trees you're working with, like, yeah, you're talking generations old.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I can't necessarily say that. I don't think they cut uh, from old forests. I don't think that's uh, illegal. No,
0: no, no. But, but, but I mean, they're at least one but, generation old. You, yeah, know, it, you know, most likely been planted, like you're saying, in the last 40, 50, 60 years.
1: But, um, kind of actually, um, but, but you know, it's, there's, there's different, there's different, like, you know, cause, um, was it, I watched, I listened to a podcast where this guy talked about how, you know, like mycelium is everywhere and they actually figured out that trees have like neural ne- networks and certain trees will send certain nutrients to each other. I think uh, when you talked to Caleb on the podcast, uh, he was talking about this, but, um,
0: yeah mycelium
1: <laughs> yeah yeah mycelium you know mycelium like like they're they were saying how mycelium actually interacts and evolves and they like actually you know control the environment and nature and it's like you know that everyone thinks we evolved with mycelium and it's like kind of like mycelium is actually making us evolve so they can like produce you know some of the situations but uh um yeah, no kidding it it's like you know they they I think there's this this book I'm trying to get. I think it's like trying to find the mother tree because actually there's these networks of trees and they interact with each other and they share nutrients. And there's like I guess that maybe there's possibly this master tree that like, you know, controls everything or, you know, um and it's like, you know, it's, it's just so trippy learning about that, that. I I don't even know a whole lot. I just it was one time I watched the podcast and learning about that and it's like maybe that's you know part of it maybe there's you know nutrients have been taken away in a certain area and then that in that return it creates burls and stuff like that but you know there's there's all different kinds of knots and stains i mean i've i've literally seen the whole rainbow in different pieces of wood i mean i'll get like a piece of wood that jumps up and it looks like somebody took a bright yellow highlighter to it like it was just crazy and then i've I've seen it where it's got red stain and like a purple wine stain, that blue stain. It's had some green in there. I mean, I, I could have had all colors of the rainbow with some of the wood I've seen. And so
0: I got an all this, natural.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All natural. No, no, nothing, nothing that, um, uh, that, that was interacted with it. It just, it was just, you know, they cut through the tree. It goes into the, the, the saws. It turns into lumber, I see the lumber and it's like, whoa, you well,
0: know? You know, and, and one thing about the colors is, is, are the dead trees like from fires and such that various yeah. mills are harvesting? Do those create different colors too when you see yeah,
1: the... So, so um, yeah, that's like what I was saying is like some of the older trees, it gets that blue, like with pine, it gets that blue, blue stain. Actually, back in the day, they used to not want that and they threw it away. But then... The industry actually named it well rare and beautiful. This is rare and beautiful. And now it's like got an industry in itself of like, you know, people desire it because it's got this kind of unique color to it. And I mean, if you really look at it, some of the pieces I've gotten, I'm like, you know, it, it is really beautiful. Like just to have that weird kind of navy blue, you know, tones on it. And sometimes it it, it doesn't affect the whole piece of wood. It's like just certain parts and it makes these like really unique um uh shapes, you know, sometimes it'll like it'll have these kind of flame flickering flame kind of shapes of blue around a knot. And it just I mean some of it just looks like a piece of art. I mean sometimes I've I've had pieces of wood that um I actually got one actually recently. Um I was um it came on by and it looked like there was a branch that it tried to grow outwards but then it grew into the tree. So it like made this like weird zigzaggity brown, like, you know, um, thing going on. And then there was another knot. And so I cut it off and then I looked at it again and it literally looks like there's a snake with its mouth open in this piece of wood. And that was all made from nature. And it's like a a work of art in its own. I'm actually going to get a frame for it and lacquer it and everything like that and but i mean the the piece is amazing and it it was just you know just nature had a defect that was really not a defect at all just like an amazing perk really
0: (laughs) yeah no no kidding that's honestly really cool i didn't know about the colors um i knew about some but but not not all like um especially the deep wine colors that's that's surprising
1: i've gotten some deep wine colors uh I I specifically can't always remember because I never got the species sheet sometimes. I would just show up and do my job because it's like, you know, I'm just here. But the different colors were just like, you know, it's, it's crazy. And like with, yeah, with the different knots and, and stuff like that. And so I, instead of going against the grain and being like thinking upon myself of like you know well i'm i'm an artist and i'm in this industrial environment and i'm not really in a creative environment and like this kind of sucks and like boobity hoobity me uh i more allowed myself to be open and be like you know wait wait a second i'm being exposed to these beautiful things and designs of nature why not lean into this allow this to inspire me allow my environment right here now inspire me like so i've been uh i've been taking that and been you know making portraits and figures and making them look like wood grains and knots you know you have like the maybe a a certain curve of the body that curves inwards and if you would take a wood knot and put it right there it looks like that it naturally curved with how the the wood grain and the knots went about so um, I'm exploring that right now and it's like, you know, learning from the, the you know, seeing the things that I've seen, it's like, you know, the uh, applications of like designs and um making, you know, ideas and different designs and uh just the concepts are just kind of like infinite, you know. Um and the, what's kind of great about wood knots and, and, and stains and uh um Wood grains is that they say it's like a fingerprint, not all board, not all one board is the same. So instead of kind of having this academic, I kind of been going more for a classical academic kind of style. And, you know, that can be rigid in its own of like, you know, if you don't draw the human anatomy a perfect way, it looks wrong. Or you don't, yeah, you don't capture the anatomy. It's like, it looks, it looks weird. It's like, you know, you got to work on your anatomy. Compared to this, where it's like you know, doing it in this style, there's not really, there's not really a uh, one size fits all. There's not really a uh, that's wrong. It's just kind of like wow, that's like aesthetically pleasing and an interesting design. Yeah. So I feel as though I, I, uh, I kind of learned the lesson of like. Instead of fighting against my situation, it's like I I allowed it to uh, affect me in a positive way. And I've kind of now flourishing
0: because of it. Well, I think that's honestly a great point to interject a question about your personal recommendations for media or books or different (laughs) forms of articles that you would recommend to the viewing audience? Oh, uh, a
1: couple books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really any resources that you found um, to be helpful on your journey.
1: So I would definitely recommend,
0: um, hold on one second. Oh,
1: um, would be uh, the, the war of art by Steven Pressfield um, that talks about breaking through the blocks uh, and winning your inner creative battles. To me, that that is totally a must. It goes into about um, self-graphication and fighting resistance and like kind of like an inspirational thing of like, you know, just do the work, you know? Sometimes, you know, the thing about it is like, sometimes you won't make the best piece of art. Sometimes you'll make ugly art. But it's like... For instance, like you got to look at it as like going to the gym. It's like, you know, you're not going to be able to deadlift 300 pounds by just going to the gym and trying it. You got to work your way up to it. And um, that's the thing about inspiration is like, you know, I think there's a lot of this weird romanticized stereotype is like, well, I don't do art until I feel the right time to do it. And it's like, well, that's great and all. But if you do exercises like, you know, you get your, your hand really loose on doing certain gestures and like getting yourself set up with values and tones and understanding color theory and all those things. Those are all exercises and doing exercises every day. You don't really have to make a, a a amazing piece of work, but you get that fluidity, fluidity involved. And, um, and then when, when you do have a spurt of, of, of inspiration, you can execute it with ease. And then you kind of can blow people's minds where they're like, whoa, like, how'd you do that? It's magic. You're like a genius. And it's like, I'm not really like a genius. It's like, I'm just, and I'm not really that you could say I'm not even really that talented. It's just, I've, I've put in the work, the skill. Um, anyways, yeah. uh, books, uh, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, I would rec- recognize Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, big magic, creative living beyond fear. Um, that one was great. Uh, uh, another one, I would say, uh, daily rituals, how artists work edited and texted by, uh, Mason Curry. That one's really great. It goes through from writers to poets to artists about their daily routines and how they work. And that might kind of give a perspective of like, you know, Maybe, maybe you act a certain way, and you have these certain things you go about your day because, uh, maybe you're, you know, you're a creative person, and you know that might resonate with you.
0: Those are great. I, I'm actually excited to look into those myself. If if you don't mind sending me the links, so I'll make sure yep. that our viewers have uh, the links in the description. <clears throat> uh,
1: another one I would recommend that I think is really an, a fascinating book. It's a quite a big one, but. It's called Divine Fury by Darwin M. McMahan. McHunt- uh, last name's a little hard to pronounce, but we'll um, put it in the links. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that that whole book has to go from they go asking about the the um the existence of genius and where it comes, and it goes all the way back to the very beginnings of genius, where it goes back into ancient Rome and um them talking about how uh they thought that uh you had this daemon as they put it and it would speak to you and it would speak to these ideas uh, these tell you these ideas and kind of the concept of uh men do not have ideas ideas have men and then it goes mm. up to that yeah Uh, And actually, a lot of these books, especially with big magic and the war of art, um, actually, they all kind of like realign into this idea that that overall arching idea of like the goddess speaking to you and you have to be open to uh, listening that like, you know, and to me also, I actually absorbed that. And it also helped me a little bit because when you are a really talented person and people see your art, they always want more of it. And it's, why aren't you doing this? Don't waste your gift. And that can be like really a lot of pressure. So when you kind of take it more of the perspective of like, no, well, there's, I'm open to these things the, the ideas have me, I don't have the ideas. Um, it kind of allows you to just be kind of like, you know, um, be okay with the idea that you know, you're not, you're not always creating all the time. And, you know, you have a life, you have to take care of things, and you're not exactly, you know, you're not really exactly losing out on anything, because um, you just have the ability to tap into, uh, I don't know, this divine energy, um, theoretically. But uh, anyways, the divine theory, it goes in from the basis of these daemons, de- to it goes all the way up to... Uh, modern day where they're pondering about what is, what is genius and the connotations from it from, you know, yeah, from all the way to ancient Rome to like France and them pondering and then, you know, the 1800s where they were like dissecting a lot of brains and seeing if they could physically find genius to more of the connotations and the social connotations of like, for instance, believing Albert Einstein is a genius. And was it more of a context of, that uh, it was a social context of the power and idea of genius than it was, like, a really an actual um, physical concept that manifested through this person.
0: No, I, I think that's great, honestly. Yeah, And there's <laughs> going to be points in time where, you know, different things are going to emerge about uh, divine nature and spirituality and, and things like that where yeah there's always opinions in the matter right and it's not to discredit what you recommended i think that's great Um, yeah it's just always fascinating that discussion what emerges from it but with that i i want to invite you to give our audience uh your final statement if there's anything you feel like you wanted to relay or or present Uh, maybe a challenge maybe a lesson that you've learned
1: I would say no one knows you like yourself and uh always question everything and you know um you know by learning yourself you can understand your strengths and weaknesses and you can give yourself according accordance to compassion and empathy to that and then you know when you do know your strengths and weaknesses and you're aligned with yourself on that way What's great about the world is you can always work on yourself and, and choose to say, well, here's this one thing I don't like about myself, but I have the power to uh, improve it. And so uh, by me asking questions and questioning everything and searching for truth and knowledge, um, I can better improve myself and the world around me being able to be aware of that power is like, you know, it's a truly enlightening thing. So, uh, I'd say, yeah, seek that.
0: Well put, honestly, it's not bad to keep in mind to put your best foot forward, but this has been a pleasure today, Matthew. And thank thank you for,
1: I appreciate it.
0: No, no, thank you. And, and, I hope maybe in the future you'd consider coming back and, and maybe interacting in a different a conversation with, with another guest or, or another situation uh, there's different artists that have shown interest for the show. And, and if we get it coordinated enough, then I might reach out and see if uh, that's something you'd enjoy.
1: Yeah, that would actually, um I think that would be really interesting, you know, uh, be able to ponder and pick other people's brains and, uh, you know, collaborate on different ex- other experiences. And, you know, um, that would be, that would be really awesome.
0: Honestly, I, I, I think you had a wonderful format with the show today. And, and I, I just really appreciate the time spent. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being part of the show today. Matthew was really fun to interview. And honestly, I, hope to do some further collaboration in the future with them. We're going to be working in art projects and motivating others to involve themselves in maybe future podcasts that we can all participate in more discussions for. So I look forward to it. This holiday season has bumped the schedule around a little bit. There's been a lot of busy individuals and our episodes have been a little delayed. So I apologize for that. We're working on getting that back together, and we have a lot of guests coming up in December that are eager to be on the show. So look forward to new episodes very soon. Thanks again, and this has been the World Networking Podcast.